0: if I could preach because he's feeling under the weather I turned to my wife and uh, showed her a text message and then without any hesitation she said um, of course uh, on this Mother's Day and so uh, please uh, praise the Lord for my wonderful wife and when you see her give her big props and tell her thank you uh, for allowing me to come and serve you on this Mother's Day Um, another note I was um, so thankful uh, Rick for, for your prayer my um while I was just, uh, while we were sitting there, somebody texted me and asked me for a prayer for her son, Navaris, who had, um, just, just now, just texted me about her son, Navaris, and she asked for a prayer. Well, she asked me for prayer, but I knew what it was for, because today, today's her son, Navaris, would have been 20th birthday, uh, but he got killed two years ago, over, over, over here in, um, in Southeast D.C., um, and so just, I was able to pray for her via text and remind her that God understands because he also lost his son. And God gives hope because his son rose from the grave. And so I was able to, uh, I was freshly reminded of, of that by you to send to her via text. And I pray that it blesses her heart. Um, and that's why we're here, amen. Um, you do have a visitor here, my man. Uh, in the back, he uh, he ro he rolls with me wherever I go for the most part. So that's that's my man Fred in the back. Um, he's been to a, he had been to a whole lot of uh, church stuff with me, <laughs> and I've been to a whole lot of stuff with him too. Uh, so we're good friends. So make sure y'all say what's up to Fred. We'll probably jet real quick afterwards though, because we gotta go back to Mother's Day stuff. So turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 you know ain't true Um, John chapter 18 and today I'll cover verses uh, just 1 to 11 Um, in John chapter 13 to 17 Jesus had prepared his apostles for his death and resurrection departure to go to heaven to be with God and um he was telling that he was telling them in those chapters, John chapter 13 and 17, that he would no longer be walking with them. Um, and um, he was taught them in a room. And in John chapter 13, which I would have read if I had kind of prepared the service, one thing you would see is that earlier on, while he's talking to his disciples, uh, there's one disciple there. He had 12 apostles. One of them was Judas. And Judas was someone who had walked with Jesus, had ministered with Jesus. Jesus gave him power to do many miracles. Um, but Judas, uh, during, that, during this last hours of Jesus' uh, death, uh, Judas actually left the, the, that time together. And um, he left Jesus and the apostles while he was teaching, and he left to go and betray Jesus. So in John chapter 18, verses 1 to 11, Judas comes back into the story. But he doesn't come back with a changed heart. He comes off to finish the job, to hand Jesus over. So I know we're jumping in the middle of stuff, but I feel like I I, I hope that you all be able to catch up with me um, and just follow along. So um, John chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. And in this section, I'm going to present to you Judas and Jesus. And in this, you're going to see the, the failure of Judas, and you're going to see the faithfulness of Jesus. You're going to see the failure of Judas. You're going to see the faithfulness of Jesus. And uh, you're going to have two choices. You're either going to follow the pattern of Judas or you're going to put your trust in the faithful Jesus. And my prayer is that you put your faith and keep your faith in Jesus because he is faithful. So John chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered, verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with the lanterns and torches and weapons. Verse four, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Verse five, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Verse six, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? We'll stop there. Jesus had many disciples, but of the, those disciples, he had 12 apostles. And as Jesus' apostles, they were given unique authority to speak on his behalf, to perform many miracles, and they were given deeper insight into his teaching. Jesus' apostles were like family to Jesus, like a brotherhood. They They did almost everything together for those three years of ministry. They were close. They were tight. They were so tight that they knew where each other would be. That's why in this section you see, that after Jesus had finished teaching them and praying for them in the upper room, they went across the book of Kidron and, and went to a garden, which we know from other gospels is the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas was so close and so familiar with Jesus that he knew that Jesus and his apostles would be there. So that's why Verse 2 says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. That's how close they were. And now Judas is back in that garden. But he's not there to sing with them or to pray with them. But Judas is there to betray Jesus. Judas is about to betray Jesus in the text. In the Gospel of Luke... Judas is labeled a traitor. In the Gospel of Matthew, Judas is called a betrayer. In the Gospel of Mark, Judas is called a betrayer. The label seems to just keep sticking with Judas. Even in this text, you see at the beginning of verse 2, it says Ju- Judas who betrayed him. Then at the end of verse 5, look at the end of verse 5, it says, They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him. Judas betrayed Jesus. Can you fathom that? For three years, Jesus walked with Judas, cared for Judas, taught Judas, empowered Judas. As I said in chapter 13, when Jesus is with the apostles in the upper room, teaching them, Jesus gets down on his feet and washes Judas's feet to show him how much he loved him. And after hearing all of Jesus' teaching and experiencing all of Jesus' love in a way that others haven't, and even after seeing Jesus' miracles, Judas gets up from the foot washing, walks out to hand Jesus over to be killed. And for what? We learn from other passages that he betrayed Jesus for, for money. Now, I'm going to ask you later on, have you been betrayed before? Have you ever felt betrayed? But first, I want to model something for all of us. The Bible tells us that before we start to worry about everything that's done to us and all our grievances, that we first need to get the log out of our own eyes. And... and. And this is not to heap up more guilt on anybody, right? Because I'm sure if, ever, if anybody looked at their life, you, will, you could always find some sin in your life, right? You could always find it. But the reason that we want to get the log out of our own eyes is it just helps us to remain humble. I know that you all have probably witnessed or experienced people who, who leave the church and they're, they're deconstructing their faith and, and have all these things against Christianity who once was, for Christianity, or once was for the church. And one thing you'll notice by, about those individuals is that they only talk about what has happened to them. And they don't see how they in their sin may have played a part. So it's very important for us always, when we are in relationships, especially Christian relationships, when we're trying to grow, to first ask ourselves Is there any sin in me that I need to reckon with? So now, before I talk about have you been betrayed, I want to first ask you, in what ways have you betrayed Jesus? How have you betrayed the Lord? Do you constantly talk negatively about the body of Christ or about the church in order to fit in with the culture? Do you talk Christianese in front of Christians, but then when you get around non-Christians, you change up? In verse 5, it says that Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was standing with the soldiers. In what ways are you standing with the world? The Lord has entrusted us with the truth. Are there any ways you're choosing to twist the truth or to deny the truth? or pervert the truth, or extort the truth for your own gain. Unfortunately, many pastors and spiritual leaders go unchecked, and they begin to use their position of influence for power for their own gain. I, I, I pray that doesn't happen to myself. I pray that doesn't happen to any leaders here. But we must be on guard against the many ways that we betray Jesus, that we betray the Lord. The ultimate betrayal, the ultimate betrayal of Jesus. Judas did not just betray Jesus at this point. Judas was always betraying Jesus in little ways. So when John chapter 12, we won't turn there, it says that J- Judas used to keep guard of the money. You don't, have to, don't turn there. He, he used to keep guard of the money. It also says that he used to take a little off the top. Judas was always betraying Jesus in little ways. And those little betrayals can ultimately end up in a final betrayal that you never thought you would do. And a final betrayal of Jesus leads to a wreck. You wreck your life when you betray Jesus, when you betray the Lord. Turn to Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 to 5. Look at what happens to Judas's life as he betrays the Lord. Matthew chapter 27 verses 1 to 5. Matthew 27 verse 1 to 5 is also on the screen up there. It says, "When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor." Verse 3, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Verse 5. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. He went and hanged himself. Listen, at the end of the day, Judas realized that the money meant nothing. Being rich or gaining position never removes the stain of guilt from your conscience. And Judas felt the guilt of his sin of betraying innocent blood. And then he tossed his life away and hung himself. I find Judas' life so tragic when I read about Judas. I feel for him. I get saddened because he had life right in front of him. And he chose death. I feel for him because in an effort to get rich, he betrayed Jesus, the innocent one, and lost his soul. While if he had have just entrusted his soul to Jesus, he would have gained the riches of eternal life and so much more. I feel for him because he died being known a traitor. Everywhere you see in the Bible, Judas the betrayer, Judas the betrayer. It didn't have to, it didn't have to be that way. He did not have to die being defined by his sin. Moses killed a man before he was a prophet. Moses didn't die being known as Moses the killer. David killed a man and stole his wife. He didn't die labeled David the home wrecking murderer. Peter slices a man off and denied Jesus. Peter isn't known as an ear slicing runaway disciple. Judas died labeled a betrayer, but yet all these men had their names cleared, had their past wiped clean. Why? Because they had had their faith in the Lord. I feel for Judas. I, I wish he had stuck around to hear Jesus cry from the cross, it is finished. Then he might have known that he didn't have to finish himself to try to remove his guilt. I wish he had stuck around to see Jesus' resurrection from the grave. Then he might have known that he didn't have to try to kill himself to get out of his life for a new life. Because Jesus died so that he could have new life. I wish he didn't kill himself. I know that sin may have run its course in your life. And it may have taken you to a point in which you might say, I've done too much to be forgiven. And I can't turn back now to be saved. I'm in too deep. Friend, don't commit real suicide and don't commit spiritual suicide. Don't give in to those lies. You can be washed. You can be cleansed. You can be sanctified. You can be justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ today. Your failures can be overcome by the faithfulness of Jesus. That's what we're going to look at now, the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, listen to me now. Some people, some of you have been betrayed. And you've been betrayed by some of your closest relatives. Your parents may have betrayed you. Your friends may have betrayed you. Your closest coworkers may have betrayed you. but Jesus will never betray you. Look again at verses 3 to 10. Verses 3 to 10 of John 18. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Verse 4, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus was committed to fulfilling his mission. Jesus knew that death and suffering was a part of his mission. It was central to his plan to save people from their sins. So he did not turn around and abandon the work. He refused to go back. When he was confronted by Judas and the Roman soldiers, he stepped forward and he said, who do you seek? He wanted to make sure that they knew that they were getting the right man. He wanted to make sure that he was arrested. Who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. And after he said, I am he, Judas and the soldiers draw back and fall down. Here you have Judas with about 100 Roman soldiers and some officers. The band of Roman soldiers were given to them, uh, were given to Judas from the religious leaders, and they came with lanterns because it was the middle of the night, torches just in case Judas and the apostles ran away, and swores just in case Jesus and the apostles put up a fight. The soldiers were armed and ready. Jesus and the apostles were outnumbered. And you would think Jesus would bow down in fear. And yet when Jesus says, I am he, they draw back. And they fall down to the ground. Why? Because demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Here we have armed soldiers trained to fight, ready for battle, trembling and bowing down at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus chooses to reveal his divine glory, you will bow down. When he lifts the veil and let people get a glimpse of his majesty, they can't do anything but bow down. So when he says, I am he, that carries the weight of every divine I am statement in the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, the Lord said, tell them, I am who I am, have sent you. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the true and the life. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Jesus stepped forward and said, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they fell to the ground. Now, do you not think that when they're on the ground, Jesus couldn't stump them out? Right then and there. I mean, if he could have healed people of blindness, don't you think he could have just made them go blind and skirt off? If he could raise Lazarus from the dead by saying "Come forth," Lazarus come forth. Don't you think he could have just, just looked at them and said "Bye bye"? Oh, yeah. They'd have been dead instantly. He could have called a thousand angels to come. But he's faithful. He's faithful to complete the mission. He's faithful to do God's will. He's faithful to keep all of his disciples. He's faithful to save his people. So he says, you're looking for me? Then come arrest me. He he, he basically basically commands them to arrest him. And he says, let the disciples go. So if we look at verse 7. So he asked again, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 8, Jesus answered them, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Verse 9, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. So basically, he says, you're looking for me? Arrest me. This this is, in our society, and and just generally, this is not how we're supposed to go, you know that, right? This is backwards. The foot soldiers, the servants, the officers are supposed to die for the king. The people in the lower ranks are supposed to keep the, the head of the ranks alive, right? Like, you're supposed to, if the person with the riches, the person with the money bag, you keep that person alive. And everybody else got to take the rap, right? Top artists, famous athletes, presidents, they all have bodyguards who are supposed to take bullets for them to keep them alive. And here you see Jesus, he said no, no, no. The king of kings, him stepping forward to die to keep his servants alive. Because he's faithful. He's not going to lose any of them. The Lord Jesus steps forward to be arrested so that his disciples could go free. That's because he is faithful. That's because he always keeps his word. And this is what he said to his father. He said, of whom you gave me, I have lost not one. In John chapter 10, he said that he was the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He guards his sheep. He keeps them. He does not lose them. Jesus will not and cannot lose any of his true disciples. And if he did not lose them on that night, how much more can we be confident that he will not lose any of his true disciples throughout eternity? How much more can we be confident that he will not lose you if you trust in Jesus? Those whom he has predestined, he calls. Those whom he calls, he justifies. Those whom he justifies, he will glorify. And there is nothing, there is no death or life or famine or depression or demons that can do anything about it. If you're in the love of Christ, you've been saved by his grace. He's going to keep you. Because he's faithful. Now, if you begin to think, well, if the Lord is going to keep me, that means I can do whatever I want to do. If you think like that, then those thoughts are more in line with Judas-like thoughts. If you think I can just hang with Jesus and do a couple Jesus things and a couple Christian things here and there, but then really do my own thing and live my own way, those are Judas-like thoughts. Those are the thoughts of of a betrayer. But when you learn that Jesus is faithful and that he will keep you even when you're weak and that he will restore you even when you fall. That doesn't make you want to say, oh, well, I can do whatever I want to do. That makes you want to tighten your grip on Jesus. Knowing that he will keep you makes you want to hold on to him even more. That's what that should do. I pray no one in here would say, once saved, always saved, and then try to test the limits of their perseverance. Don't test God's limits. Just hold on on to Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Love the one who is faithful, who will never betray you. Love the one who who always does the will of the Lord. Look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So so, so, so Peter, earlier he said he wouldn't abandon Jesus. In some ways he's trying to stick to somewhat of his word. So they're arresting Jesus, and Peter pulls out a dagger, and he just starts swinging. Peter was feisty. Peter was a fighter, so he pulls out his dagger, and he doesn't back up. He starts swinging, and he tries to kill his enemies. This is a headshot. He going. He's not going down. He going up, and up there is heads and ears. And he and he missed them. He missed where he tried to hit. He hit the ear. Chops off a person's ear. And in other, in, other, in other gospels, we hear that Jesus is, again, demonstrating his compassion, and he, and he heals Malchus's ear. But notice, but Peter is not fighting against the soldiers. Ever since Jesus told Peter that he was going to be crucified, Peter denied it. Peter's like, no, Jesus, that ain't, that's not you. We can't have a Messiah being killed. Peter isn't fighting against the soldiers. Peter is fighting against the will of God. Peter is fighting against the will of God. And how often do we do that? How often in our lives do we fight against the will of God? It's the will of God for us to abstain from evil, to be sanctified to pray without ceasing, to rejoice always. And there's so many other things, clear, clear desires of God for our lives, the will of God. And how often yet are we, like Peter, cutting against the will of God? It's the will of God for some of us to suffer. And we're saying, no, 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 not me. And in that, we're angry and we're frustrated and we're bitter. Again, fighting against the will of God. We all could be tempted to that at points in our lives. And yet, our hope is not that we'll always get it right, but that Jesus is faithful and that he perfectly submitted to the will of God. So the verse says in verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? The Lord Jesus knew that it was going to happen. He knew the will of God. He knew the scriptures. He knew in Psalm chapter 41 verse 9 that he will be betrayed by a friend. He knew from Zechariah chapter 11 verses 12 to 13 that he would be betrayed for money. He knew in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, that all of his friends would run away. He knew in Isaiah chapter, from Isaiah chapter 53 that he would be pierced. He knew that he would have to bear the punishment for his disciples. He knew how much suffering it would be. He knew he would have to drink the cup. In the Old Testament, the image of the cup symbolized, could, could symbolize God's blessing and also symbolize that God's curse. And in a majority of instances, the cup represented the Lord's judgment and wrath on wickedness. And in this case, the cup symbolized God's wrath. And the Lord Jesus knew how agonizing and how painful the suffering would be. but he chose to drink the cup. He chose to go to the cross and to die for man's sin so that man could be forgiven. This was a dark night. Judas betrayed Jesus. The apostles abandoned Jesus. The courts would eventually condemn Jesus and the soldiers would kill Jesus, but it was all a part of God's plan for salvation. All of these actions was not given to them ultimately by, the, this, by Judas and, and the soldiers. But all of this was actually by God given to Jesus so that he could drink the cup for us. So that Jesus would bear the, the perfect son of God who lived an innocent life, who did nothing wrong, nothing wrong. He would be treated like Judas. He would be treated like a betrayer, like a murderer, like a killer, like a sinner, like a person who was fornicated. He would be treated like the scum of the world so that scum like us could be saved. He drank the cup of God's wrath. His soul was was suffering unto death so that his disciples so that all who trusted him would be able to to have a soul now filled with life and so that they could enter into eternal life. And then he was resurrected from the grave, sits in heaven and he keeps us. He helps us to persevere. He makes sure, he makes sure that we make it home. The same way he kept his disciples here, he keeps you all the way through your life. Life has so many different trials. There's so much suffering. There's so many temptations. Some of those temptations can get so difficult, we say, Lord, I don't want to follow you anymore. It's not worth it. Some, some temptations are so hard where we're like, okay, I'll follow you, but I'm not going all in because it's really not working. I'm just going to coast through. But he's faithful. And at those times, it's always a, a person that, let me show you how his faithfulness works. Sometimes you're like, man, I'm, I'm tired of going to church. I don't want to go. I'm not going. It's raining. And then you go to church and then we're just like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I went. Why is that? That's because Jesus is faithful. How come is that? one night and you're struggling and, and and you're like, I'm about to give up. But you receive a text message or a phone call or you listen to a song and you get a little bit more strength at that time. Why is that? That's not random. That's the faithfulness of Jesus. Keeping all of his children. And he's going to keep you if you trust in him. So keep trusting in Jesus because he's faithful. And if you're living a life that betrays Jesus, it only leads to a wreck. Don't do that. There's nothing but eternal damnation outside of Jesus. But there's eternal life with Jesus. Trust in the one who's faithful and who will keep you. And he will keep you to the end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray for Pastor Josh. We ask that you would keep him. Uh, We ask you would strengthen him. We ask that even now that you would be pouring into his heart so that he could pour into his family and pour into the church and give all that he has for your kingdom. Uh, uh, Restore uh, 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 his body, Lord God. uh, Bring him to full health. Father, we thank you for how you are building up this spiritual body right here um, in Congress Heights. Oh Lord God, we know that it's not Um, that the building up of this church and the and the keeping this church, Lord God, is not finally dependent upon us, Lord God. It's dependent upon your faithfulness and you are faithful. So in all of our shortcomings and our and all of our shortcomings, Lord God, we praise you. And we fix our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We thank you for going before us and entering into the veil. We thank you that you are our anchor. We thank you for giving us your spirit that is a seal for us, Lord God. And we thank you that we have a a home that is to come. And treasures that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And a savior who is faithful, who will complete what he began. Father, complete what you have started in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.